0: too
1: many movies i watch too much tv i have too many kids and now we're doing a podcast the discerning geeks Portal. Welcome back, everyone, to another adventure on the deciding, deciding, wow, discerning geeks portal.
0: <laughs> I'm afraid we might have to vote on a new uh, spokesman.
1: Yeah, for real. Uh, hopefully, this does not bode bad for me being able to talk tonight as we're recording our episode. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, we're back together, well, not together, but recording together, another
2: episode, and Todd, what are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight we are reviewing the movie The Last Starfighter. Alex Rogan, a teenager living in a trailer park, beats the Last Starfighter video game, only to find out it's actually a test of the real thing, earning him a place in an intergalactic war as the actual Last Starfighter. Uh, the Last Starfighter is starring Lance Guest as Alex Rogan, Robert Preston as Centauri, Dan O'Harely, or, or ha- O'Harely he- oh, as Greg. It's not just not me. That. Yep. Nope. Didn't pronounce that right at all. Uh, co-starring Catherine Mary Stewart as Mary uh, Maggie Gordon, Barbara Bosson as Jane Rogan, Chris Hebert as Louis Rogan, Norman Snow as Zur, and Dan Mason as Lord Krip. It was released on July 13th, 1984, with a rating of PG. It was written by Jonathan R. Batul and directed by Nick Castle. Where you can find it, uh, most typical streaming services have it. Unfortunately, it's not just automatically included with, you know, Netflix or HBO Max or something like that. But most streaming services have it for around $3.99 to to rent right now. or uh, I think it's $2.99 or $3.99 to rent. And somewhere around $12.99 to $14.99 to buy. And I don't have a whole lot of trivia for this, but I did notice during the closing credits that there were two Star Trek actors in there. Now, one I recognized along the way, one I didn't. Will Wheaton is supposedly in the movie and he's credited as Lewis's friend. So Lewis, the little brother, apparently somewhere along the way he has a friend on screen. I don't remember him, but it was Will Wheaton. Now, the one I did recognize was The Hitchhiker. And the Hitchhiker is on screen only for a few moments in human form. It's actually an alien that's been shape-shifted or has some kind of cloak or something. And the weird thing is, just for those few seconds, I could tell that it was Mark Alemo from Star Trek. He was in about four episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, probably best known for playing the first Cardassian in all of Star Trek, Gul Maset, in the fourth season episode, The Wounded. And they must have liked him as a Cardassian because he went on to play the Cardassian Gul Dukat, as a recurring role in all seven seasons of star trek deep space nine and of course the biggest trivia
1: is first cgi movie
0: uh there's technically another bit of trivia too what's that Dave? this was the final film of robert preston this is the last movie he was ever in before he passed away oh and you. yeah I k- that too. Yep. And, 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 and kids i don't i know i know this is going to tell you how old i am but if you go to your probably mother father which that may that's a little iffy now but if you go to your grandmas and granddads and tell them tell me about robert preston they're gonna lose their minds because robert preston was a guy that did the music man the old version that is the better version i know that matthew broderick did one where they kind of rebooted it but it didn't get it didn't do quite as good as as the Music Man for, with Robert Preston, because the, it's actually even already said that Music Man was written specifically for Robert Preston because of how how he could act. Um, Robert Preston was an old uh, Vaudevillian theater actor. Um, so, I mean, he comes from that kind of line. Uh, and oddly enough, uh, if you have ever seen Music Man. Uh, With him, and you watch Last Starfighter, you're going to see a lot of that con man from Music Man in this film, because oddly enough, it was actually, he was kind of told that, that uh, this is Music Man in space just without the music. And so that was kind of what he was supposed to portray when he played, um, I can't think of the character's name, but uh, uh, Centauri, yeah, Centauri was was his character's name. That was what he was kind of told to play. He was like kind of tap into that, that music man uh, character and play him for Centauri. I mean, Robert Press is just a, a great actor and it, and it really boosts last starfighter in, in that aspect of putting this kind of interesting bit where really, if you think about it, there hasn't been that many con men uh, for sci-fi movies. So Robert Preston gets to be one, but it is Robert Press's last movie after, after he did this, uh, he, he passed away from us and we, we lost a good actor.
1: And a little personal trivia, Dave, got to act in the Music Man in a local production just a few years ago.
0: Like they need to know about that.
1: <laughs> it was very good. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was very good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy it.
0: Uh, so. I love it when they kiss my ass, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it doesn't happen often, so I have to take what I can get. In case For you're me, wondering, me. I didn't actually play the Music Man, I played his buddy, who yep. kind of kept him covered. Yeah. Anyway, I sang Shapoopy. So if you're a big Family Guy fan and you remember that Shapoopy song that they, that they did you know, when he was playing football, I actually sang that for real. It's not as easy as you think it is. <laughs>
1: but you did a good job. I will put it yeah. yeah. But let's go ahead and get into our review here of mm. the last Starfighter. Um, I well, know, Dave, you were pushing for this one, and
0: well, I, I enjoy it. I, I really, I've always enjoyed it, and and because you've already mentioned CGI, I'm sure that. People already are are doing exactly what I did, and I think we should just go ahead and jump into it. Welcome to FX Talk with Dave. Now here's your host, Dave. When I watched the film, as I told you guys earlier, I actually had a a, a making of on my DVD for Last Starfighter, and in that making of, they explained how they used a Cray supercomputer to do a lot of the graphics, uh, to render all these scenes, et cetera, so forth, and how it was uh the the stepping stone of the first uh film that was trusted with a pure CGI aspect and yet i'm pretty sure there's a lot of people sitting there like i am right now or i was that said well wait a minute when did tron come out and um i'll just go ahead and just jump right into the story unless you guys want to want to jump in um i couldn't quite figure that out because i remember tron and then i looked and and found that Tron had come out two years earlier at 1982. And I thought, well, wait a minute. How is Last Starfighter actual CGI? Um, So if you're a big Marvel fan, you should see this movie because if you like anything with any of the Marvel movies, any of the new Star Wars movies, any movie that has any kind of great special effects in it that are computer graphic effects, you need to pay respects to Last Starfighter because this is where all that started. Um, The reason being... Is I went back and checked, and and I even went so far back as as Star Wars, and so I'm going to give you a little history as as quick as possible. What Star Wars did, the reason it was so um, groundbreaking was a lot of the stuff that they did for the special effects were practical. Uh, even though they were still special effects, they were still practical. And what they did was, uh, you know, blue screen and people talk about that and what have you. And if you want to know about blue screen and green screen, look that up for yourself it's very interesting uh nowadays with digital cameras is that are you just film a blue on a blue screen or or a green screen because they actually still do use both i thought it was all green but no sometimes they still do use blue and you just hit a button and it takes the color out uh back then they didn't have that so basically what they would did is they they would film and they would film with a filter a blue filter on black and white film put it on black and white film then they'd film with a red filter and put it on black and white film and what they did is i gave him a a white background with whatever they were shooting, like a starfighter or whatever in black. So then what they did was they went back to the blue screen film to add in the fighter. And then they would also then project the star field or whatever behind it. So really you had a camera that was running three different films at once while recording on a fourth film. And that's how they did all of it. I know it sounds kind of weird and complicated, but if you look it up, you'll, you'll figure it out. And it was all layered. Tron was done very much the same way with the people. They were all wearing black and white outfits. They were on black and white sets and it was done kind of the same way. It was filmed in a certain way, uh, uh, filmed in another certain way. And then a, a color filter was, was shown through the film to be recorded again. And that's how they got all the people to light up. Now, everything in the background, the carrier scenes, the light cycles, the, the, the effects you saw, the landscapes, those were digital. it was computer graphics however what cgi is actually defined as is the ability and function of using a polygon or triangles to create something that not only is animated or can be moved as in laugh starfighter which things moved in tron but it was digital animation in tron it was not actual cgi digital animation was you literally did it like animation they had to Figure out the mathematical equation for X, Y, Z, and everything else to get the cycles to move the the ships to flow through the through the digital background, et cetera, and so forth. And so, it was really truly digital animation in Tron. It was not actual CGI. Last Starfighter was the first one that came up with actual CGI, where they using the Cray supercomputer, they were actually able to create a wireframe ability to where they could actually map out how they wanted the shot to look before they ever rendered it It used to be you had to wait render it and if somebody made a mistake you had to scrap that whole piece of film because it was trash you had already printed it so you had to go back and start all over again to get everything to work last starfighter did not actually have to do that they could actually go through and using a small monitor Uh, even though it was very primitive for what we have now, could render everything into a kind of a wireframe that they could actually say, well, we want the ship to move this way and we want it to look this way and we want it to dive down this way so that it looks like it's actually moving and and reacting to the environment. And once they were happy, at least with the wireframe model that they could do, that's when they actually had the computer run and create the polygons and create it. So that is why, and I didn't believe it first either until I started doing this research... That is why Last Starfighter is actually the very first CGI film and started what would eventually become what you see now with Marvel and Star Wars and all all of your great, like, holy crap, how did they do that? It all was born with Last Starfighter.
1: This has been FX Talk with Dave. For more informative lessons into the groundbreaking special effects of Hollywood, join us again for another thrilling FX Talk with Dave. So how does, and I'm just kind of curious to get your guys' permission, well, or, or, oh, again, talking, not a good thing tonight. <laughs> Dad, your guys' to? feelings on how those CGI effects stood up today. What did you guys think watching it today? You know, we've got some, you know, wonderful movies. You mentioned quite a few Marvel, things like that, the new Star Wars things that use a lot of this CGI. This very first one, what were your feelings on how it stood up today
2: when you watched it? Well, sadly, nowhere close. And But it's understandable. If it was first, of course, it's going to be primitive compared to everything else. But it, everything in it looks like a video game. Even the stuff that is supposed to look like real life, it looks like a video game. And, you know, I'm um, a big fan of Babylon 5, and it uses computer graphics. In fact, it was one of the first TV shows to use computer graphics extensively. But those graphics were also kind of primitive. But at least with Babylon 5, it kind of opened up the, the field for, uh, how do I explain this? In, in Star Trek The Next Generation, other shows that I was also a fan of and still enjoy, when, it, when they were using models, everything was very kind of stiff. There wasn't a whole lot of movement with the ships. Uh, you might have three or four ships on the screen at once and they would move very slowly and, and everything. But the graphics in Battle on 5 allows you to have a whole lot of ships on on the screen at once and allows them to move in in interesting ways and everything. But even today, some people say that Battle on 5 looks like a video game. But wow, (laughs) compared to Battle on 5, The Last Starfighter really looks like a video game. I mean, everything in it, it just doesn't look believable. At the same time, I do respect them for trying because some movie had to be first. Some movie had to take the hit and say, all right, this probably isn't going to look great 20, 30 years later, but somebody's got to do it. We'll be the ones to do it. And I didn't do nearly as much research as, as Dave did, but I do remember reading something about the budget and it sounds like the budget was kind of low. And part of the reason they kept the budget low was because they used computer graphics instead of models. So does it quite hold up? No, and I can't help but wonder, did it even look realistic then? I kind of doubt it, but at the same time, maybe because it was the 80s and everything was new, maybe nobody cared. But, no, I I would have to say, sadly for me, they don't hold up.
0: Well, I think when you review a movie like this, especially when you're talking about 1984, you have to go back then. You have to try to put yourself as far back as you can. This is only 10 years after Star Wars. I mean, I was born in 74, which is when the first Star Wars came out. Right. Right. No, no, no,
2: 77. It was 77, 80 and 83. So this was one year after Return of the Jedi.
0: So, yeah, this is one year after Return of the Jedi. Um, and, you know, in 77, when Star Wars came out, everybody was blown the frick away from the the graphics. And George Lucas himself actually talked about how, like, this rebirthed special effects in Hollywood because um, it was a redefining of what Hollywood used to be, which was, uh, in George Lucas's words, a trick. And ILM was the tricksters, Uh because this was in you know like I said before with my explanation of, of the three different films with Tron and uh, Star Wars uh, Star Last Starfighter and uh, Star Wars uh, Star Wars was was oddly enough very practical effects just done in a very creative way and then things progressed from there into Tron with digital and using computer and, and giving that that door to it and then it's last Starfighter that actually uh, forms what would be called your first CGI um Film. And so you have to kind of, you have to kind of put yourself back then to where None of this existed. You know, there was none of this at all. Um, so like Todd said, yeah, it doesn't hold up. I mean, you, you cannot put a Marvel movie today next to the last Starfighter and go, which one does the graphics better? Well, duh, Marvel. But Marvel's also had 40 years of improving this system to the point to where you watch some of those behind the scenes things and the guy's on a computer and he's just moving Iron Man around and he's like yeah it just goes here goes here goes here goes here and then I just tell the computer to make it do this and do this and do this and it's just in an instant and you, you're watching what he set up in, in an instant this is a back at a time where um, I will give the example that I told Dave earlier um, one of the reasons why the computer graphics supposedly do not look as good as they sure were supposed to is because originally when they had the meeting with digital what was it, I think it's digital I can't think of the company's last name, but it was digital something. Um, they asked them, how long does it take to do this? How many polygons would this be? How long does it take that to render? And by the company's own uh, math figures, it came out to 17 months is what how long it would have taken them to render each of the CGI scenes that were in the movie as perfect as the, quote, artist and director wanted it. Um, they had six months to do it. That was how long they had. So it was less than half. It was really a third of the time that they had. And so I think it does show up that they focused on the ships. You can look at the ships, and even though, they, yes, they don't hold up to the today's standards, they are f- far better rendered and lighted than everything else. And it was because of time. It, it, it was, they just, at that time, even with a cr- quote, cray supercomputer, you couldn't render it fast enough to make the deadline for the film when it had to come out and so that hurt it but then it is also one of those where you know hey you got to put yourself back in that in that in that period i think compared taking all that into account i think it does hold up well um i think the ships do hold up well um i do know that obviously it was made in some sort of a game because if you actually watch the credits at the end it talks about game available from Atari Incorporated which I thought was funny. And so I don't know if that's because Atari had anything to do with it because they do it is one of those old he's playing one of those old box 80s video games and so you're kind of sitting there going well Atari was making those things I mean they might have actually paid Atari for a Starfighter game to be in the movie and that's the whole reason that does remind you of a game because it actually was a game to be created for the film. I don't have no idea. Um, but I think if you actually do look at the, the ships, I think the ships do hold up. Well, yes, the background doesn't yes. The base doesn't, none of that stuff does. You can tell when it goes to CGI from practical, but I think when you're really looking at the gun star and when you're really looking at the, the little cargo ships. And I think when you're looking at the fighters of the, of the Korg empire, uh, I think they, they do do decently well.
1: Yeah. That's me. Main- so, I will throw in there too, and this is one of those just a lot of times we forget. You know, not only are we talking 40 years of computer graphics, we're talking 40 years of computer development. I mean, I've got more power in the little laptop that I'm doing this podcast on than they had in the supercomputer. So we're talking about, you know, supercomputer, super for the day. I mean, the reality is what we can do now on a laptop rendering these same kind of effects with the right knowledge and the right software. They didn't have any of that. They were writing the software to put it all into place as they made the film.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, what is it? Uh, The Apple movie maker, uh, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you can do blue screen and grease screen with your laptop computer. If you have Apple oh, yeah. movie maker on it. Um, This was a process that, you know, like I said, when you, when you hear me describing it, for what they did in the original Star Wars, you you literally needed a camera that could that could shoot and display three rolls of film: one with black and white with a with a cutout, one with a background, one with a foreground, you know, and then record it on a fourth roll of film. In other words, technically, Star Wars is actually four movies. You'll have a black and white movie that will just be white background with like cut-out models, and then you would have one that would just be a background with a, with a hole in it, and then you would have one that would just be a foreground with nothing behind it. And that was, that was like the three original films, and then what you saw was the fourth reel that was actually putting all three of those together, filming them at the same time. And now you could just go, oh, let's just put a green screen behind this guy, and let me just click and remove the green. Oh, there's our dude. All right, let's put him in space. And then it's click, 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 and you're done. And... So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not trying to, like, say that Todd's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes you just have to kind of look at things as being what they are, the milestones that they are. And I don't know. I, it, it, to me, it's still actually impressive. Um, mainly, I think a lot of it has to do with the physics, which we might get into later.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, and I wanted this to be a review of the podcast and not necessarily all the technical aspects, but we've kind of done about 20 minutes on that anyways. I'm somewhere in between. There was part of me watching this movie again, and it's been several years since I watched it, that was, wow, this looks better than I remember it. There were some really, I was like, you know, I remember this being kind of cheesy and and cartoonish looking. And when I watched it, and that was just probably my faded memory, I was like, wow, this is better than I remember it. Does it still kind of have a little bit of cheesiness to it and and not necessarily hold up to the effects of today? Um, yeah, so I could see where 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 Todd comes from with that. but you know overall, I was impressed kind of thinking back, you know that you know wow, it looked better than I had remembered. So I want to kind of change gears a little bit. You know, yes, the, the effects are important, and this was a groundbreaking movie because it had the CGI, so that's why we spent a little time talking about it. But I do want to really delve into the movie itself. One of the characteristics of of a movie is more than just its effect. You can have all the effects that are are possible and it still not be a good movie. Um so I want to know what you guys think, kind of in general, how this movie what it did for you. Was it good? Was it not? Did you like the plot? Did you not? Um, What are you thinking? Let's let Todd, give us some more. what you think? Oh, you don't want me to go first. I do. I do. I really do want you to go first. No, no, you don't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You really don't. (laughs) You're going to make me, aren't you?
0: Fine. I'll save Todd and I'll just say what he was going to say. The plot is basic. This is a very basic movie. This is a, a, uh, kid who wants to get out of his bad situation. He lives in a trailer park, you know, in, in Bodunk, California, which, by the way, to be honest with you, this is what I actually wanted our podcast to be called. I wanted it named after the trailer park in this movie, which is Starlight, Star Bright. and the other guy shot me down. But anyway, that's that's another story. That's a behind-the-scenes thing. Th- that was one of the reasons I wanted it, because I wanted to see how many of us, of us real geeks would get it. Because, oddly enough, if you actually look at the Rotten Tomatoes score on this, this is still like a 70%. It's like an 80% critic and 70% or 69 percent fan like. this is this is a movie that either has just retained its enjoyability or it's maybe gotten a cult following, which probably has because it is it is what it is. but it's not like one of those films that was bad, but the the plot is basic. It is your basic um, kid wants to become something. Um, he seems like he just wants to get out of the trailer park and live his life. And it just ends up that he ends up, you know, saving the galaxy, as well as a, a general kind of love story. There are certain aspects of this film that I do actually enjoy, and I'm not sure if it was done before this film or not. Uh, but it's it's funny how we have already talked about like these other movies that came before it, but yet sometimes you have to take those into account when you're doing a film. And these guys were brutally honest about it. Um, as Todd said, uh, what was it? Star Wars came out the year before this, like Lat- Return of the Jedi. Um, okay. And they they knew that. They knew that in their head that Star Wars had just come out. And if they did what they were originally thinking about doing, it really would have been a total Star Wars ripoff is what they thought. So they added the idea of, well, if these people are, are – technologically advanced enough to have gun stars and are technologically advanced to have these kind of video games that are that are out there to find starfighters. they ought to be technologically advanced to cover where people have gone and so they added the beta unit and what that allowed was a camera function and action in the story in which you could cut between fake alex uh being this teenager in the trailer park on top of being a beta unit that has no idea about human nature, as well as the space stuff to balance it out. And I don't know if they did that, if they've ever done that in a film before, I would assume that probably the mechanic has, but I'm not really sure. But I do know that to me, I think that helped it a lot that you could check in between the two, because there's just some humorous moments with the beta unit of imitating people and making mistakes and, and, things along those lines that just I think play into it. I don't know if I covered anything that Todd was thinking about saying.
1: No. What about you, Todd? What do you think?
2: Okay. I, I think I can sum up. Well, let me say in many ways, this movie and its various components remind me of a very simple quote from Star Wars A New Hope. Almost there. It's almost <laughs> did you hear that? Yeah. It's almost there. The story, the characters, dialogue, special effects, makeup, props, everything is almost good, but not quite. And in the end, it ends up being a movie that's almost charming, almost fun, almost exciting, but not quite. And every time there's one thing in the movie that kind of elevates it a little bit, then there's something else in that same category that brings the average down later and it's like I it, every time I thought, oh, it's getting a little bit better. Then there's something like, oh, oh, that's kind of horrible. And it, in the end, it it didn't totally work for me. At the same time, I want to emphasize that there's n- no single component anywhere in the movie that's terrible either. And then we we're already talking a little bit about about comparisons to Star Wars. There were times I also felt like it was a little bit of a combination of Ender's Game and Star Wars: A New Hope, kind of thrown into a blender.
0: Man. So okay.
2: I felt it was kind of tropey and and well, not totally original.
0: W- wait, wait till I throw out the whole enemy mind theory. Okay. Which I don't know if I can, but it, it, I just find it interesting that, well, uh, go uh, ahead, Dave.
1: So I'm curious, because you kind of say it's tropey. I don't know. I wonder if it is, because in many ways, this predates a lot of the tropes that we we see. It set those tropes maybe um, it's the
0: first trope, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, because it's because it's right, the right, right. first I mean, rip-off, yeah, yeah. it 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 doesn't it doesn't get to blame. <laughs> well,
1: I mean I no I see what you're saying. I do see what, what you know that where you're Which, saying. technically the um, first
0: ripoff of Star Wars was Battle Beyond the Stars, but that's a completely different discussion.
2: Um but well, and know, when was Ender's game written?
0: Uh in the eighties. Yeah, they probably didn't know about it yet because I think it was about the time this movie came out that I think Orson Scott Card printed it. I don't have a book with me, but I think it was close. Okay,
2: well, yeah, actually, Ender's Game was released in
0: 1985. Yeah, so see that ah, you can't ah, so see that just throws that out the window because it didn't even exist yet.
1: Right, right, right. I I think so. I mean, yes, I think it is kind of become a trope and something that a lot of people, you know, look for or, or, or. it plays on that childhood, you know, hey, what if video games were real? You know, as you're playing them, you know, oh, I could just imagine well, if this was a real thing and that I'm trying to get into it. And, and you suspend that disbelief while you're playing and, and you make it a little bit more real. And I think that that has become a trope. I mean, even, you know, um, Ready Player One, you know, and now there's a sequel, Ready Player Two, you know, the book is out. Yeah, there's, there's oh, a okay. player too. I think that that same author, author Klein, I think is his name, you know, another also guy. wrote another book Armada and it's the exact same thing. You know, it's, Hey, these video games are training us to fight a war against these aliens that are coming. So they are tropish now. But in many ways, it wasn't a trope then. This was creating that trope. It's it was creating that story that a lot of them have fallen off of, uh, come off of later.
0: Yeah, I think the '80s was was a. I think a lot of people don't realize how many new stories that a lot of people take for granted were created in the '80s. That this was a golden age for movie making in a way. because you, a lot of the stuff that you kind of look back on, Oh, that's hokey. They've done that before. Yeah. But all that stuff started like in the eighties. And so like all these movies that we kind of look back to and go, Oh, well it's, you know, it doesn't hold up, blah, 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 stuff like that. Now, um, oddly enough with you guys talking, I remember that the writer on this, um, Extra that I had on on my DVD, he actually mentioned how he came up with the idea that um, he was actually a uh, forgot what it was. He said something like an accountant or something, and he had a lot of downtime in between checking numbers, and so he just started writing screenplays to like keep himself busy. And he talked about how one day he went into an arcade. Now this is back in the eighties when you know arcades were big, and you know people went to an arcade and there is all these boxes. and He said he he was watching this kid play this play this game. It wasn't Starfighter; it was something else. Uh, he was watching this kid play a game. But at the same time, he had been, he was reading uh, The Once and Future King, which is the story of King Arthur. Good book, by the way. If you like to read, go get it. Um, and he thought to himself, wouldn't it be interesting? Which is the whole reason why the movie has an Excalibur reference. Uh, because it, he thought, "What would ha- wouldn't it be interesting if one of these video games was, if somebody beat it, it was like pulling the sword from the stone." and you accomplished something that you didn't even realize that you had done and that's where the whole thing started and he started talking to his buddies and this was like i think the director's first time filming anything i mean this is a bunch of these guys in this movie this was the first time they ever did anything and it all started with that with the, with him reading that book going to this arcade and having this idea of what if what if somebody was playing a video game and when they beat it whatever happened actually came true like you know if you became king or if you you know, uh, oh, you've proven yourself, which is funny enough because oddly enough, this has actually had a real life application. Um, when I was working, because I used to work for a game store, which no longer exists, not GameStop. <laughs> Sorry, I worked for Electronics Boutique, which was a hell of a lot better. Anyway, moving on. Um, they came, there was a game that came out that was uh, free uh, to actually get, and it was called America's Army. Um, And I know a lot of people might even know about this, but uh, the United States military came with a game called America's Army, and you played it, and it was a first-person shooter game. But in America's Army, they actually basically put you through real-life boot camp and then put you through missions that had been done in real life in the same actual effects. And what it was was it was actually a semi-training program. Uh, you didn't actually immediately get accepted into the army, so to speak. But what it was, was it was to gauge on um, people that might be apt to it. And I don't exactly know how it worked because I never played it myself, but supposedly at the end of the game, if you actually beat it, it would actually come up and tell you uh, that um, you've now actually completed what most people in the actual army have done. Um, And if you're interested in actually seeking out a real life adventure to go to the your local sign up board and all that kind of stuff. It it got it pissed a few people off, but it was also very interesting. So this has actually had a real life application from the idea of this movie.
1: Yep, yep. So I guess that was kind of my point is that we we nowadays we see these things and we think, "Oh, well, I've seen it done so many times and I've seen it done better." But it is interesting to to really get a hold of that first, and and it's tough to say first because this is the first time it was done, kind of in film, as we've talked about in some of our other reviews. Um, most of these sci fi things that we're talking about that were made into films in the seventies, eighties, were books before they were you know movies were in short stories that were published for years were in comic books before they were ever that so. You know, a lot of this is the evolution of kind of our sci-fi tropes and what we consider to be standard ops now. And so it was interesting to see The Last Starfighter and, and see it as a a pathway to a lot of the movies that we do have now. Um, I was a little different from Todd. I actually like the plot. It was not deep. But. I thought it was, it was pretty moving. I thought it was fun to watch this kid just coming out of the, the trailer park, um, do good, learn how and save the world and get the girl. Um, yeah. Are they tropey? Is it pretty shallow? Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, that's what we watch movies for. We want to see that person do good and and win the war and get the girl and fly off or ride off into the sunset, just like the old Westerns or that. That's what I go and enjoy most in watching films. So I, I liked it. Um, the acting was definitely questionable at times, um, and not super, uh, super high quality. Um, but, uh, but it had its moments, too, where it was where it was pretty good and pretty entertaining. Um, let's really get, and you know, kind I of want to stay focused, kind of laser focused, because we're going to run long otherwise. But let's run through any other positives that you guys have, and and then we'll start kind of knocking out some nitpicks as well. Um, anybody have any other positives about this
0: movie? Funny enough, I was actually going to mention that I think the acting is actually not too bad in it. Um, I think, <laughs> well,
1: it's fine. We could have different, it wasn't horrible, but there were definitely some,
0: well, now moments. <laughs> all the, support, the supporting cast, they're all crazy, but I think they're supposed to be, you know, like Elvira, who's. Who's, uh, you know, I'm going to miss my soaps if Alex doesn't help me, (laughs) Mm, you know, and and, and like, you know, the, the, the positive black guy that's like running the, you know, that's running the the cantina or whatever, you know, he's like, got to grab it with both hands. Hang on. You know, that kind of thing. He's going to beat his high score. Yeah, he's He's going to beat his high score. Now, granted, if you think about where they are at a trailer park in the middle of nowhere, the fact that. The fact that somebody was going to beat the video game at the store's high score was probably the highlight of the month, to be honest with these people. Because if you really pay attention, it's pretty much like you get the idea from the very beginning that 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 these people have done the same thing over and over. Like that one guy that went fishing at the beginning, that's what he does every day is yep. go fishing. Um, so it's one of those kind of things where y- you kind of get it that that Alex is, is kind of stuck in this rut and and i think that helps oddly enough um on top of all that uh is is grig right isn't that the the his his navigator that i swear looks Mm -hmm. just like one of the guys from enemy mine which i haven't quite figured out how to like connect them because it's like is this before (laughs) the war with the humans because obviously it is because we don't have spaceships at the time or is it like way after, you know, did something weird happen? You know, whatever. But anyway, him being, like, just the gung-ho, which I think is funny, in the movie, they talk to, Alex accuses him being a gung-ho Aquana, tells me to calm down, you know, that kind of thing. There's some one-liners in this film that I actually just really enjoy, like that. It's like, great, I'm about to die, that's gung-ho iguana tells me to relax, you know, that kind of thing. Just just dumb stuff that's, that's that, that I think plays into the film very well. The other very much overlooked i think which is very very brief has to do with the kodan commander this is a guy who only has maybe i think in total six maybe seven minutes of screen time and yet from the small amount that i see him in you get the impression right off the bat, this guy knows what he's doing. This guy is a commander of men. This guy is not one of these wishy-washy dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like from the from the moment he realizes he's going to die to the moment that he knows that we're just humoring this other dude who's claiming himself to be emperor. T- to me, that's very important uh, in which you have a seasoned commander and he's not a fool. And it's one of those where had certain little things changed and, and maybe they didn't have this job of a kid who thought he was going to be emperor of the, of the known world or whatever uh, by using the Kodan to invade. Th- this might have been a totally different movie. It might have been a heck of a lot harder on The Last Starfighter than, than – uh what happened and I, I i he just does a very excellent job in a very short amount of time i think of portraying an able-bodied fleet commander and you kind of get the idea that there is more to the Kodan than you remember yes they are supposedly these conquering people but yet you they're not exactly barbarians i think that all comes across in just a few minutes of film yeah i understand the whole like yeah it's a little wishy-washy there's a lot of good little fun one-liners in this Robert Preston did a great job. I think I don't think he can fault that at all. But uh, yeah, well, I, was I think trying there's... to
1: remember the quote that he did something. The Greg says something along the lines of, "I always wanted to be in a battle with extreme odds, yeah, and little yeah. chance of winning, little <laughs> chance
0: of, of always wanted, I always wanted to be in a battle against extreme odds with small chances of surviving. Yeah, it's like what. Uh, <laughs> And you know, there's just there's just some kind of there's just good stuff to it. Um, I, I think that it, that still works into the favor of the film.
1: Todd, what else? anything for you, or I kind of got your near miss kind of, but uh, anything
2: out there that you want to talk about? Well, I would also agree somewhat about the performances. Um, yeah the trailer part people they're over the top and i'm sorry i don't buy that scene where everybody's like oh so-and-so's gonna beat the big score oh let's go watch i i i didn't buy that i thought that was one of the negative things but uh but now the performances of some of the other characters especially grig and centauri i really like the performance of those i felt like uh i mean those were probably older actors and they were pre-seasoned at it and i felt like they were kind of rising above the material and dave already talked about how the centauri character kind of did that how the actor played that and i felt greg did a really good job past all that heavy makeup so i'll put those a little bit on the positive side Uh, also i mentioned how a lot of the various components of the movie weren't quite there i was actually kind of impressed with the command center set it still felt a little bit low budget but i can forgive a little bit of a low budget to a certain extent and I felt like that might be the one area that kind of crossed the line into the good area just a little bit uh also going back to the characters I really like the character moment between Alex and Grig when they're in the ship but they're kind of on standby a little bit and they're sharing photos of their families back home I thought that that was a nice character moment and then uh I liked it when Alex returns back home and at first of course everybody's going to see Greg and I think somebody says oh it's a monster but then greg acts very genial toward everybody shakes everybody's hands and then everybody's like oh he's not so bad and i like that there's that moment where the humans kind of accept him after that initial shock wears off that yeah he's an alien but he's he's okay so i thought that was a nice moment too okay Okay.
1: um we've talked extensively about the special effects we talked about the acting story definitely a little shallow but uh it, it to me it was entertaining Am I missing anything big, or are we ready to kind of get into our nitpicks?
0: I don't think we can actually say that the story was shallow. It's basic. It's your basic basic story. You know, it's not deep. It's not meant to be deep. And it's just the kid from the trailer park does good and wants to take the girl with him. So, you know, I I don't necessarily call that shallow. It's just basic. It's your basic hero story, which usually 9 of 10 does well. Uh, nitpicks. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, we've kind of knit, we've kind of done a pretty good job of, of doing up and down as we've been talking about everything else, because we do agree that, you know, even though I agree that the, that I think the, the ships are rendered well, um, you do have to go back and go, yeah, it could have been done better. I'd also love nowadays if somebody would take the time. Cause I don't think it would, I don't think it could take possibly that long. For somebody to go back and find the original notes that they really wanted to do with the CGI and render it and see what would have taken them 17 months in 1984 to do so that we could have an idea of what it would have looked like if they had had 17 months to do it. Because a lot of the generalization that I kept listening to and hearing about the CGI was the fact that. They could do so much more that every day there was somebody like, you know, somebody referred to the, to the work, uh, cubicle area as the groundhog land. And the reason was, was because somebody would be in there working and all of a sudden somebody would go, yay. And you would see a head pop up like a groundhog. And then suddenly it would be like, everybody's head would pop up. Like all the other groundhogs, like heard another groundhog, yip, And so they would all pop up and then they would all go run to that cubicle and find out what somebody had been able to do. And it was like, Hey, I figured out how to light from two different angles. This is how we do that. And everybody would be all excited about it for two hours. And then everybody went back to work and then eventually somebody else would, would yay. And the head would pop up again. And, it's one of those where all the things that you see nowadays that are all taken for granted were being done for the first time. And so I would actually like to see if anybody ever could go back and do it because I don't think it would take that long to see what the 17 month plan would have been because from everything I'm gathering, they were talking about doing these, you know, this background stuff, the, the ships, the, the laser fire, all this stuff and such a, epic way that it was going to blow everybody's minds off and they just didn't have the time and so i'd kind of like to see it almost to see what it would have been like if they had time
1: now this is of course one of those on the internet rumors that you can only take with so much seriousness but like a lot of things there apparently has been talk for the last couple of years about doing a reboot or a remake of the last starfighter um so it'll be interesting to see kind of if that comes to fruition or not so but i have seen several rumors of it being remade at some point and with today's technology definitely i think they could do better with some of the graphics so all
2: right. um all right any other nitpicks Uh, let me see. I've got kind of a mix of good and bad thing. Okay. Uh, it kind of bugged me a little bit when they abduct Alex and that's basically what they do. They don't explain anything. (laughs) They basically get him into a car and then fly him off into space. And it's also a little bit weird once they get there. And I think this is a little bit of a trope too, is that once he's there, they don't really tell him very much. They're like, here's your spacesuit. Here's your helmet. And here's what you're, here's what you're doing. He's like, uh, where am I? What is going on? And so there's no orientation. It reminded me a whole lot of uh, the first Harry Potter movie where, you know, everybody knows exactly what's going on and Harry Potter, he's just kind of being led around and everywhere he goes. It's like, well, but what magic is real It's like, he's bug eyed the whole time. And I I felt like that a lot uh, with, with Alex, you know, not being told anything. I mean, he's literally in this meeting with these other pilots being told about going to war and he doesn't even know what's going on yet. But I was also kind of sort of impressed when kind of off camera, he told them, guys, I want to go home. And they didn't force him against his will. They were like, all right, fine. We'll take you back. And there's that scene where Centauri is is in the ship and he's taking him back home. And uh, now I think that kind of slows down the movie too, that you see this stuff from outer space and you got to go back to earth and then you end up going back and you know, eventually he's going to go back. So it's kind of like a little bit of a stall tactic. But at the same time, I appreciate that they didn't force him into anything either, especially since they didn't do a good job of the orientation.
0: Well, I, I think that a lot of that gets solved with Greg, too, where, you know, he kind of gets out of the meeting and, and you know, he's trying to catch up with Centauri to be like, dude, what, did, what have you done to me? And then he runs across Greg for the first time. And then, you know, Greg says that line about like Earth. It's not supposed to be approached for, you know, till it matures and it was like, you know, uh, or, or, or whatever. It's like, this is all highly irregular. So you could tell that like uh, Centauri's not really a part of this, this base command. He is like, you know, a finder, I guess you could say, which is why they're paying him, you know, Hey, I found you a starfighter. Hey, great. We'll, we'll pay you for him. But he's also not exactly following the rules by finding them, which is the whole point.
1: And And he's playing that music man flim flam artist yep. kind of doing it so um, he is a very interesting character i'll do like that what else you he will go? Think it's
0: dangerous to you and then of course the guy's head melts and you're like what
2: yeah. <laughs> uh okay well this isn't exactly a nitpick as much as kind of a neutral observation but did you notice the very old school style opening credits that after a few graphics the the credits kind of go for over Two minutes before we get establishing shots and everything. Yeah, it's it's kind of a reminder that this is an 80s movie because nowadays we'd get opening credits over the movie, either that or the opening credits, or there wouldn't be opening credits. Like credits would just be saved almost entirely for the for the end of a movie. All right. One thing that I know is really super nitpicky. I think we're supposed to be led to believe that Alex is a teenager probably somewhere around 16 to 18. Like he might still be in high school, maybe 19 at the most, but there's discussion about him going off to college. So I don't think he's supposed to be in his twenties yet, unless he's taking one or two gap years or something, but it's just not believable. And I looked up the age of the actor in real life. And somewhere around the time of uh, filming this, he was around 22 to 24 years old, which isn't that much older. And I know everybody always jokes about how on 90210, they were like 30 years old playing high schoolers and everything. But somehow, some actors can pull it off a little bit better than others. And I think one thing working against Lance Guest is, he's, is he was really tall. So in addition to being older, he was 6'3". He just didn't look like somebody who was in high school. I just didn't buy it. And Catherine Mary Stewart, who played Maggie, his girlfriend, she was actually a year older than he was. So I just didn't buy that these were, were teenagers. But, I kind of uh, got that
0: too. I, could, I, 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 I will say that. I kind of got that too. I never thought of him being a teacher. I always thought him like 20 or so, but I guess I always forgave it in the back of my head because yeah. I never really took it that they were still in school. I kind of took it more like this was the summer. You know what I'm saying? Because none of them acted yeah. like they were at school. They were all like going down to the lake every day. They were doing other things. They weren't really going to school. They wasn't talking about going to school. They weren't really talking about doing a job. They were just having fun. And I kind of was like, that's kind of the impression I got that if they were in high school, they just graduated, which is why he's looking for for a college uh, to go to. But it's also one of those where, you know, he's a trailer park kid. You know, you have to kind of stop for a minute and think he probably ain't got a lot of money because at one point it talks about a loan. He's waiting to hear about this loan So I guess he can go to a better school And uh excuse me I'm drunk And uh I don't know But I I do get that that no It doesn't seem like it's unfortunately It doesn't look like it's it doesn't feel high school to me Early 20s yeah I get and that kind of makes sense Seeing that he was that old but I don't know I I guess I kind of always forgave it In the back of my head All
1: uh it's about that time We need to get into our Lightning round (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Sound effects. We don't have to make them.
0: (laughs) But I like the fancy sound effects. By the way, that's okay. I'll I'll wait. I'll save for the lightning round. Go ahead. All
1: right. Uh, Who wants to go first or are we going to roll for initiative?
0: I don't know. I I just want to go get my die. Oh, God. We're already dorks. Six.
1: Thirteen. Eight. Oh, so it's up to me. Okay. Okay. Ready?
0: Wait, I didn't add my dexterity modifier.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm ready, Todd,
2: whatever you are. Count me in. Okay.
0: And go.
1: All right. So to sum up this whole movie. It's it's a couple of lines of quote from the middle of the movie when Centauri brings Alex back to Earth. Alex says, you know, I'm just a I'm not that person. I'm not a hero. I'm just a kid from the Sailor Trailer Park. And Centauri says, as long as you think that's what you are, that's all you'll ever be. And it just sums up what this movie is supposed to be about. If you just limit yourself to what you are right now, you'll never be anything greater, but if you reach for those things that are bigger than yourself, then you'll get there.
0: Did Chris Columbus say he wanted to stay home? No. What if the Wright brothers thought that only birds should fly? And did Galoka think the Yulus were too ugly to save? Thank you for a positive message for the evening. Cough <coughs> clap.
2: Wow. It sucks that I cut you off when you were saying something positive, but I think I gave you a, a an extra second or two anyway, because I actually had my timer set for thirty minutes instead of thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I was going on forever. Yeah. We're, 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 why we're, we're, we're,
0: why did this episode end up two hours and a half? I don't understand that. Because we had thirty minutes for a lightning round. It's not for okay, lightning it? So,
2: so now I'm at thirty seconds.
0: Oh okay. So, Dave, I, guess, next. I guess it's me. Yep. Am I am I here? Testing. One yep. two, one two. Okay. Ready? Yeah. And go. Uh two other things I want to talk about. The musical score of this movie is actually, I think, done very, very well. I think that the music on this is almost as iconic as Star Wars, but uh, I don't know if I could give it... Uh, it's not John Williams' level, but it's definitely good. It does stick with you, I think, if you listen to it. The other thing, how the communication was done when Alex shows up and he doesn't understand anybody and then they pin this thing to the bottom of his lapel and he's like, wait, you speak English? And she's like, no, you hear English because of your translator. And I went, that's awesome. You very, very rarely ever see that. She won't answer the helm. We're locked in the moon's gravitational pull. What do we do?
1: We die. Awesome. Good job. Of course, I don't want to take one of his tods, but one of the nitpicks could be they went through that whole scene and then at the end he shows up at the earth and he's talking and none of them have translators. And yet they hear the alien speaking English.
0: Right. <laughs> <All laughs> well, see, Well, Hang on now. Maybe his translator is, is broadcasting because remember she said you hear English because of your, your translation. Ooh. So, so maybe it's not really like something. Cause she pinned it to the back of his lapel yeah, underneath cool. his, lapel, And it looked like it had a little speaker on it. So you would assume that basically, you know, maybe they're hearing it both and they just did didn't see fit to, to do it both tracks
1: that's it. cool that's cool all right todd
2: i didn't mean to interrupt but it's your turn for the lightning round he
0: always missed interrupt
2: okay all right ready and go uh the car shuttle thing is very 80s i and i also count that as being one of those things that's almost cool it looks kind of cool from the front side it almost looks like a delorean but then at the back it's all kind of boxy and almost Uh, station wagon looking, I don't, it it, it was okay. Uh, The movie was kind of slow and boring a little bit, especially in the first 90 minutes. I guess it kind of picked up a little bit later on, but then I actually felt like there was a little bit rush at the end. And the makeup is another one of those things that seemed primitive. Not bad, just half done. It was like uh, really brave that they covered all. uh, Zero things you're still on Earth. Classic military
0: strategy, surprise attack. It'll be a slaughter. That's the spirit. No, my slaughter. One ship against the whole armada. (laughs) was that time or did <laughs> you drop
2: in? <laughs> yeah. it, it it was time what i was going to say is i thought it was brave that they did have the makeup covering griggs whole face mm. a- and it was it w- had a lot of indentions in it and everything so it's kind of three-dimensional but then at the same time it was also all one color and i don't know if you guys ever watched the tv show um oh i'm blanking on the name of it face off yeah face off with the uh the makeup competition on the sci-fi mm. channel I think if that same makeup were on that show, they would probably get points deducted for paint because even if the makeup itself is okay, there's no color differentiation anywhere. And, um, I don't know. I think that's another one of those things where I can't but wonder, was it a problem with budget or was makeup primitive back then? Or did they just not try hard enough? I don't know. I don't Oops.
0: know. It depends, it depends on the character, I guess. I mean, it was a lizard. So yeah. it's kind of like, mm, who knows? Um, yeah. How
1: many kids did he say they had? 6,000. 000- 6,000. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So bad balls. Which, by the way, to, 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 you know, how we often talk about sci fi movies uh, are really kind of like future predictors, that a lot of stuff in sci fi movies becomes reality. Um, did you catch the one piece of technological hardware that Grig had that is actually reality now? And it has to do with Todd's favorite scene. What's that? Remember when he shows pictures of his family, he's holding a, oh, a yeah.
2: he's, holding, oh, okay.
0: he's holding a square disc and it shows one picture and then it flashes through a bunch of other pictures and then shows like another picture. Well, that is this nowadays. We have these, we have these little, uh, things you can buy that are photo that are digital photo, uh, mm-hmm. uh displays that let you be able to like go, well, I'm tired of, you know, looking at grandma, I'll go to mom, you know, or what have you. So, I mean, I hadn't thought about that till right now that it is kind of funny how, how certain stuff you know, they just probably threw that in just to be a joke. But, yeah, he he lived underground with his wife and 6,000 children.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all right. It is time.
0: I think he called them grublets. Yeah, they were grublets. 6,000 grublets.
1: <laughs>
0: we will. Until, until the Zerg turned them all into slaves. And I'm like, holy crap.
1: It's time for us now to put a actual rating to our review. And each of us can give you our own little take on what we thought here. Uh, I'll go ahead and get us started. I use a 10-point scale, and out of the 10-point scale, I did enjoy this. I was more impressed with it than I thought that I would be watching it over time. It had been several years since I had watched it, and I was kind of expecting it to be boring and and, and cheesy, but I found it more entertaining than I thought, and I actually felt like the graphics looked better than I remembered them to be. So, I gave it a very strong 8 out of 10.
0: Wow. Okay. I gave it three pineapples.
1: <laughs> Not your
2: turn yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Todd, what you got for us? Well, I've kind of said everything already. It, it was... Almost there. It... Yeah. I I wanted more and I felt like the movie had a lot of potential and
0: stay on target. It,
2: yeah. It just didn't quite make it. And it almost did. And I, I can't, and I know I sound like a grumpmeister Meister general and I hate to, because I know that this is a beloved movie and kind of a classic and everything. And I can't emphasize enough. Nothing about it is terrible. Even the graphics that I feel are kind of primitive. Even that's not a deal breaker by itself. It's just the fact that everything else doesn't, quite make it either. So in the end, I have to give it a letter grade that represents not quite making it and kind of disappointing me. Sadly, I've got to give it a C. Well,
0: that's actually not too bad. Not, not with us knowing you, Uh, because I can understand this. I mean, it, it was a movie ahead of its time. In a way, Yeah, the story might have been a little weak or whatever, but had this, had Last Starfighter probably been done 90, 1990, 1991, you probably would have had graphics that would have been at least been like, wow, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, um, in just that short, short amount of time. And I think that's kind of probably what you're trying to get at, Todd, if I could speak for you a little bit, which is it, the reason it was almost there was because this had to be the movie that created what got there. And it was one of those where it was just just a movie out of time. If it had uh, if it had probably been done, I mean, if they do reboot it, oh god, you know, if they do reboot it and they hold true to the story, because I think a lot of a lot of people, one of the mistakes I think Hollywood does is they'll reboot something and they think they have to change it, and I think that's the worst mistake Hollywood can ever do when you're re- when you're rebooting something because that's not a reboot to me, that's a redo, and redos tend to suck. Reboots where you're actually nope, it's the same thing. We're doing it over and over again. We're just going to make it more, more of what it should have been. Those tend to do good, and I think that's what it is. Um, as far as my rank goes, uh, this is a total fun movie. You know, I'm not big on numbers and letters and that kind of thing. I could give it, I could be like, hey, 10, whatever. Three pineapples, doesn't matter. That's not how I do it. I do it basically on a money, monetary basis. Buy this film. It's cheap now too. Um, in fact, I actually think if Fandango will ever get their purchase thing uh, working again, it's actually only $10 on Fandango now. Uh, so you can actually save a little bit of, a little bit of money for, if you want to buy it for your video library. Um, but 9 out of 10, if you find this film and you like it, it because it is just fun to watch. It it does still hold up in that manner. So this is a total Saturday movie, uh, straight up one hundred percent. If you're flipping through channels, if you are just looking for something and this movie is on, you're gonna stop. You're gonna stop. You're gonna watch it, and you're just gonna be like, "Hey, that's so fun. That's just a fun thing to watch." And yeah, that's that's my ranking. Total Saturday movie.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. So we are at that. Last portion of our show, where each of us gives a suggestion for a future episode. Who wants to go first? Does anybody have anything that they're dying to review or to look at for a future episode?
2: Uh, Well, I've got two that I was saving for last time before I changed my mind last time and went with something else. And so I'm debating which one to say. Um,
0: The first one. (laughs) And save the Uh, second one for next time.
2: Okay. So. For me, I, a lot of times a movie can be really good in the uh, in the beginning, sometimes even in the middle, and then the, the ending doesn't quite make it. And sometimes when I say the ending, I'm talking about the entire third act. And sometimes I'm talking about the last moment or the last minute or the last few minutes. And I think it might be interesting to explore instead of Diving deep into one particular movie, taking a broad topic and talking about movie endings and talking about examples of good ones, bad ones, how they affect the movie overall. Are there any times that a movie has uh, where an ending has saved a movie or maybe ruined a movie that was good beforehand? So, yeah, talking about the way a movie concludes itself. Movie endings. I like it. I
1: like it. That sounds cool. Mm. I definitely think we could talk about that.
0: That's a lot of movie watching. (laughs) <laughs> what well you? we would do
2: it from memory well, well, What would you Dave? What you got
0: Well you know I could always go with something easy Like you know I could say Rollerball again Or I could say Aliens You know something, something along those lines But I, I, I kind of got to thinking about this And I just thought I'd piss people off And I think we should go And review the only DC movie That is worth a damn Which is Shaz- Shazam Shazam. Shazam. Shazam is the only good DC film. Now I'm not talking about the Chris Nolan days. Don't get me wrong. We're not talking about that Batman. That Batman was awesome. I'm talking about after Chris Nolan and DC decides to do the whole like little um you know Justice League. Let's see if we can do what Marvel's doing thing. The only one of those movies that is worth a damn, which is Shazam. It's a Sam. Okay,
2: okay. Uh, so so you don't think Wonder Woman is good?
0: No one. The first Wonder Woman is okay, but when you compare it to Shazam, it's Shazam's actually better. Oh, uh,
2: <laughs> uh,
0: uh, uh, and, and and I have reasons for it, but uh. and it's not <laughs> a, it's not the cast that's furthest on Wonder Woman because we know eighty four. Mm. Um, yeah,
2: did you guys see it?
0: No, because dude, when you come to me and you go, so I saw Wonder Woman eighty four, and I went, so what do you think? And your first words were, mm. I mm. didn't even I didn't even bother. I didn't even bother Todd because you have to understand that I trust you enough to go that if you literally physically in a open air environment or slash public event, like you don't owe anybody anything go mm, about a movie. I'm not even going to bother. I'm not even going to have to, I don't even have to worry about it. I didn't really have that much to worry about going to see it anyway. And that was just the nail in the coffin. I don't want to see that crap. Why? Cause if Todd goes, mm, it sucks. <laughs>
1: All right. All right. I'm going to throw one out there. I'm going to change our pace a little bit and, and go Elf. into early fantasy.
0: Early fantasy. Oh, are we doing legend?
1: And I'm going to throw out there, and I, I've been batting around a few that I'd really like to, to re- for us to review. But I want to go with one that I think has probably one of the strongest story elements, and that is Lady Hawk. Wow. Lady Hawk.
0: Okay, was uh, Matthew Broderick even legal drinking age in that movie?
1: I don't think so. Very I'm not early. sure either.
0: That's that was something that like we watched in film school at summer school or yep. summer enrichment school when we were like eight or in ten.
1: middle school or something. Yep, yep. So all uh, I know is we
0: got a bus in the summer went to Mount Tabor and watched old films and we thought it was the coolest thing ever.
1: Yeah, uh, Lady Hawk. So. A uh, couple is cursed. Wow. One of them is a uh, the hawk during the day, and then at night they she turns into a girl. And, and her, he's a wolf, right? He turns into a panther. I think.
0: Is it a panther? Yeah, I can't remember. I'll it was a I
2: can look.
0: Um, Do you remember having to get permission because they were actually going to show Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window, and we had to get permission. From our parents to watch a quote Horror film oh, I
1: do Suggestions For future topics We'll definitely um,
0: dun, Hope to dun, 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 dun,
1: dun. Hear from you guys Out there listening to us Give us your suggestions You can email them to us At Discerninggeeks At gmail.com You can throw them at us at twitter at discerning geeks and on our facebook page the discerning geeks portal so definitely we'd love to hear from you comment tell us what you want to hear us review or talk about let us know if you've got
2: some favorites and just so some of those emails might be less angry it is a wolf that he turns into not a pamp
1: okay it's been so long i couldn't remember um
0: yeah it's all good yeah. it's all good
1: if you like Lady Hawk, if you've ever seen it, then you know, let us know. You know,
0: we, we really ought to do Clue, because that would be fun. <laughs> Sorry. Mm.
1: Did you um-Clue? Like, did you um-Clue? <laughs> <laughs> Are you <laughs> shitting me? Okay. With that, let's hit on okay, a Maybe pop- I need though.
0: to go watch 84 Wonder Woman now, because if you um-Clue, I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> most fun movie ever.
2: I think you guys maybe watched that a few years ago. I don't remember it being terrible, but I was just like, eh, I don't get it either.
0: I well, remember it had three different endings that were shown in three different places. There was the, there was two fake endings, and then there was the actual what happened ending. All
1: right. Um, so with that, we're going to wrap it up and call it a night.
0: One plus two plus one plus one.
1: <laughs> one plus two plus two plus one.
0: <laughs> no, one plus one plus two plus one.
1: Um, let <laughs>
0: Sorry, right we're totally all track now okay wrap it up dave
1: let's wrap this evening up all right, guys it has been a pleasure um i enjoyed the movie i enjoyed talking with you guys about it and i hope everyone out there just continues to enjoy whatever makes them a discerning geek.
0: We're gonna be famous. Yeah, Starlight, Starbright. We're Alex and Maggie headed for the stars. <laughs> <laughs> <speaking to <speaking to
1: There's the other good quote with the. It's like. All of our power's out, navigation's out. We're caught in the moon's gravity. What are we gonna do? <moi> we die.
0: It's like, yes, that's the best bad guy line I've ever heard in my life.
1: All right. Good night, guys.
0: Night. Night, night.
2: Thank you for listening.